the announcements are in your bulletins. They've been rolling on the screen. So just to highlight, Baby Bottle Boomerang, make sure those are returned back by next Sunday. Uh, of course, we've been promoting D-Now. That's arriving later this month. There's information and sign-up on that on the Welcome Center desk. Uh, there's also family Easter devotionals on the desk that are uh, made available. You can see those and pick one of those up on the welcome table. Uh, Easter egg hunt on Wednesday, March the 27th. And then Easter is the last weekend of this month. And as usual, we will have a Friday, um, Good Friday service. We will have an Easter Sunday morning um, sunrise service with breakfast to follow. And then services at 1030 on Easter Sunday morning. I do want to make a remark about these beautiful flowers. So yesterday, uh, Mr. Selby Nolan's funeral was held in Carrollton, and the family has shared with us uh, his church, his home church, where he served here. Mr. Selby became a deacon here when he was 20 years old. So technically speaking, he was a deacon here for about 70 years. Um, so we want to remember that and, and honor his life. So I thank uh, his family for sharing with us some of the beautiful flowers that were there in that service yesterday in Carrollton. Um, one thing I'll mention that's not on here, since it's just us, a while back we made a decision to secure our children's building and keep that building locked during uh, children's worship, children's church during our time here. So. We're locking that building. If during our time here you need access into that building, there are buttons you can put to ring the people inside. They'll come get you, or you can knock on the door. So we didn't want anyone to run out there, try to get in and say, well, hey, it's locked. It, it was supposed to be locked the whole time. So we've kind of put into place starting today something we had already uh, done in the past and decided to do so um, any any questions on that you can see me or or Bryson later on I think did I say welcome okay I'm glad I'm glad y'all are here good morning as always um, what a blessing what's that well I don't know if we're having trouble remembering what we've said. I do know this. Benji Alexander is now going to come. Where's Benji? He's in the choir. Benji's going to come and read today, as always. Pay attention to the reading. Um, not only is this our invocation to worship, but it always connects to what's going to be preached later on. So thank you, Benji, for who you are and for reading this morning. So the text today is in Ephesians chapter 2, verses one through six this title of this passage in my bible is perhaps three of the most important words in the bible saved by grace and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, 
very important when you get that phrase, but God. It means something important is about to be said. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with us or with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I have a note out in the margin of my Bible on this passage that came from Warren Wiersbe, who is, um, who is deceased now, but was a great pastor and Bible commentator. And, and if you're in my, our Sunday school class, you know I lean heavily on Warren Wiersbe. But he summarized this passage just by drawing out the key words and out of the key phrases and he said without Christ you were disobedient depraved and doomed and dead but with Christ we are loved made alive raised up sealed for eternity and blessed by God so let's thank the Lord for that. Father, we thank you and praise you that we have been transformed from spiritual death to life eternal. Uh, it's an amazing gift that you have given to us. It's an amazing grace that we have received. Help us to live in that daily and to be thankful and grateful and to be able and and willing to share it with those around us and to be excited to serve you for the amazing gift that you've given us through our faith in Christ. Father, just speak to us today through Neil, through your word, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning. If you'll stand, we'll begin our morning with worship.
worship him with great is thy faithfulness. Greatest Thy Faithfulness, that's the song we had sung at our we- at mine and Russ's wedding, and it meant so much to me now, then, but then after I became a mother, it took on a whole new meaning, and it's so cool to me how hymns can just continue to kind of shape and change with what's going on in our lives, yet their words remain so the same and powerful and biblical-based. Um, and so with that, y'all can be seated as well. Mr. Durrell's going to come, and he's going to share um, God's faithfulness to our church through our um, food pantry ministry. Good morning, everybody. So, you know, I thought I would take today and share our numbers uh, from 2023 uh, that we did at the food pantry. Uh, we gave out more food last year. Uh, which those of you that work at the food pantry, y'all know what a process that we go through. But those that you don't, that don't work there, really don't, 
And so I won't forget it. I want to ask all of my food pantry volunteers that are here today to please stand up and y'all look around and recognize if y'all stand up at this time. We have, we have over 20. We have over 25 volunteers that I call on a regular basis. On Tuesdays when we open, we've got a good crew that's there every Tuesday. They're faithful. But what people don't understand is that food has to get in that pantry and it has to get on the shelves. Well, it's coming, it comes in on a truck. Either I or somebody else will go to Atlanta and pick it up. For instance, this last Friday, I was able to get a delivery date and they delivered 7,500 pounds of food to us. Well, somebody has to get that off the truck and put it on the shelves. And it's usually five or six committed guys that when I call them and say, hey, I need you, I got a truck coming in, you know, they show up. So there's a lot more than just giving out food because all that stuff has to get in. Okay, next slide. Uh, food pantry operation, and then we'll get into the dollars in just a minute. But uh, most of our food comes from the Atlanta Community Food Bank. Uh, we get uh, food from Midwest Food Bank, which is over in Central Hatchet, I mean over in Peachtree City. We got Central Hatchet on my mind this morning, I guess. Uh, we have to buy our food from the Atlanta Community Food Bank. But uh, y'all, it's like 14 cents on the pound. Uh, that's uh, 7,500 pounds they got in Friday. Uh, it was $555 for 7,500 pounds of food. Uh, we purchased some food locally, and uh, I'm gonna put out a plea for peanut butter again because peanut butter has, is not on the list, has not been on the list uh, of uh, items that we can get from the food bank, hasn't been there in two months. Uh, so I don't know when they'll get in more peanut butter to restock up. So, so if y'all will just bring in peanut butter on Sundays, put it in the back, some of us will pick it up and we'll get it down to the food pantry. Uh, Y'all may remember that uh, from last year, we've been going to Temple, Georgia, to Bimbo Bread Company. Uh, they give us the bread free. We just have to go pick it up, and that's uh, every Thursday uh, ordeal. Uh, we have to be up there around 8.15 uh, because we get to back in the dock with our truck where they unload the bread trucks, usually before we're able to load our bread on the truck because uh, – we operate just like a, a, you see the bread trucks at a grocery store. We roll the racks right up on our truck. We roll them out of the uh, warehouse into our truck. But every Thursday, 90% of the time, they get a delivery. At the same time, we're back and they just have one loading dock. So we have to pull out. Uh, whoever's up there, we help unload bimbo's bread because that'll speed up our process and of course it helps the driver out too and we can't just stand around and watch somebody do something so there's a lot of work that goes in to get the food here to uh, the food pantry down below next slide next slide most of our money comes from uh, plant wandley uh, jimmy horn was uh involved uh, in getting this started. Uh, they started having uh, a golf tournament and uh, they gave all the proceeds to the food pantry from the golf tournament. Uh, the food pantry pays all expenses out of that money 
Uh, all the money comes directly to the food pantry. Checks are made out to Glenlock Community Outreach. Uh, they don't go through Plant Wamsley at all. All the funds come to us. We pay all the expenses. And uh, just kind of uh, let you know, last year, after we paid all the expenses, we cleared about $28,000. Uh, and y'all will see when we get to the money part, it takes a lot of money to operate the food pantry the way we operate because of the amount of food that we give out. Uh, we get a grant from Carol EMC every year. Uh, we had a lot of individual donors last year that uh, gave money. Uh, a lot of you from our church, uh, y'all give me checks, y'all give me cash, uh, and we certainly appreciate that. And then there's just other people in Heard County that know that uh, uh, we operate a food pantry. They know what I do. Uh, and uh, because of my associations with them, uh, they'll give money to our food pantry. Next slide. Next slide. Uh, you can kind of look at our totals from the, from the last two years uh, up there. Uh, we increased the number of pounds by 5% last year. Twenty twenty one to twenty twenty two was our biggest jump, and that was because the price of groceries skyrocketed. And uh, the same is twenty two to twenty three. Again, the, just the increase in the price of groceries, more people come through the food pantry. Uh, you can see the number of households, and and what we use as households, that's a family unit that comes together, whether it be one person or six or eight. Uh, it increased 14 percent so th that's that number is what's important because that tells you how much uh that people are in need of food uh number of persons that means uh, a family with kids that we had a large increase in that you can see it's 23 percent uh went from 8,000 to 10,500 uh, so that means a lot more families with uh, children came through and the uh, next one, the number of children, you'll see it increased by 25%. So there's a lot of families out there that are still in need of food. Uh, the number of senior citizens stayed about the same. Uh, our average pounds per, house, per household, it dropped from 71 in 22 to 63 in 23, and that's because we couldn't get the food. We had a really difficult time last year uh, getting food. It was almost like I had to beg, borrow, and steal sometimes to get the food that we needed. Next slide. As y'all can see from this total, uh, uh, the last three years, it's, it's been up around $40,000 to operate that food pantry the way that we operate it down there. Uh, last year, I did have uh, uh, a lot of truck expenses uh, that we had to pay, had to put new tires on the truck, uh, had to replace, uh, can't remember if it was a water pump, or, but had to increase, had to replace one expensive part. I know it was $880 for the labor and, and, and for the part that needed to be replaced. But, you know, we try to keep the truck in good shape so that when somebody needs it, it's, it's ready to go. Uh, you know, we spent, uh, Roughly twenty thousand on food, eleven thousand on the truck, ten thousand on supplies, uh, and just miscellaneous expenses. And so, uh, like I say, it takes a lot of money to operate the food pantry the way. Next, you know, we're always looking for volunteers. Uh, 
We don't like to turn it. We don't like to turn anybody away. Uh, it's rarely, but uh, on occasions, uh, we will need some help. And uh, I know I've got some people on a call list. And if you're interested in working at the food pantry, let myself, Crystal, or Neil know, and uh, we'll be glad to put your names on the list. Now, one uh, uh, our food pantry. We kind of hit a milestone uh, last year. Uh, Jimmy Horn and Patsy started this back in 2011, and uh, uh, I've been keeping up with the numbers uh, since I took over since since that time. And uh, we've distributed out of this food pantry below where I'm standing and the choir is sitting, uh, one million pounds, a million and forty thousand is where we're at right now. And that's a lot of food that's gone through this church to families in Herd County. Uh, we work hard, we have fun, we enjoy it, and, and all of you that help make my job easier, I thank you gracefully. Thank y'all.
guess which sign we're learning about today now in our sermon. If you'll stand with us, we're going to sing one more song together as a congregation before we go into our sermon this morning. Gracious Heavenly Father, God, Lord, thank you so much for your faithfulness in each one of our lives, God. Lord, thank you for entrusting our church, Lord, to feed our community, and thank you for um, just using that in such a mighty way, God. Lord, a million pounds of food does not come without much prayer and um, obedience to follow your will and your path, God. Lord, thank you for um, Mr. Jimmy and Miss Pat Horn, who had that vision for our church and our community and for Darrell and Janet, who faithfully serve that ministry, God, and all the volunteers, Lord. God, I pray that our community continues to be a light for our community um, and feeding them, God, but also just showing them the love of Christ and showing them where love abounds immensely, God. Lord, thank you um, for the signs that we've been studying 
And thank you that this morning, God, we see that, Lord, um, the love that you show Lazarus, you want to show to us, God. And if we think our problems are small, Lord, we just need to remind ourselves of that miraculous feat and know that nothing is too small for you, God, or nothing's too big for you, and that you care about everything we care about. God, will you be with our children as they go to children's church and be with our nursery workers and be with Pastor Neil as he comes to bring your word. We just love you and praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Children are going with Emily in the back for children's church. Thank you, Catherine. If the rest of us please turn to John chapter 11. In John chapter 11, we have the seventh and climactic sign in his gospel, revealing him to be the Son of God who gives eternal life. So John chapter 11, I hope to read verses 1 through 53. I want to thank Durell and the Food Pantry Ministry for loving people uh, the way God has called us to. Jesus said, if you love me, feed my sheep. That certainly means spiritually, but it also means physically. If you see those in need and you do not help, how does the love of God uh, dwell in you? Uh, John later tells us in one of his letters so clearly. So John chapter 11, as Catherine already alluded to in the choir song, this is about Lazarus. It's about the power of Jesus to raise People from the dead. So it's about the resurrection power of Christ. Now normally if you're like me in life and daily routine, at times we can be dismissive of truths like the resurrection and eternal life. But man, this past week I didn't have that problem because two of our church families dealt personally with the loss of a loved one. Uh, so Richard Smith's family and Selby Nolan's family this week felt the weight, the weight of the importance of the resurrecting power of Jesus and the difference that that makes in our lives. When death comes into our picture, when we begin to feel its, its strength and its power, uh, death, death, death awakens us. Uh, death breaks our hearts breaks our hearts, it, it shatters our illusions, and then death drives us to make adjustments, adjustments in our emotions and our priorities and our choices that oftentimes we need and we would not be willing to face if it were not for uh, the arrival of what the Bible calls that last enemy, death. So what this passage does is it shows us how God operates in the midst of sickness and sadness and sorrow and death. It's a reality that all of us have to deal with. At times we suppress and we go through the motions of life assuming everything's okay and then death comes and it shatters those temporal illusions. But what I want us to see today is how God operates and how God transcends and transforms 
to give us in this passage what we need for those moments and really for every moment of life. So let's read the text. John 11 verse 1, now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. John assumes that his readers know who these people are. A very tight-knit, close, well-known Christian family. This was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother, Lazarus, was sick. Well, the sisters therefore sent to Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when therefore he heard that he was sick, he stayed then two days longer in the place where he was. That's interesting. He loves them, but he stays? Uh, we might ask outside of here, what's up with that? What's he doing? So then after this, he said to the disciples, well, let us go to Judea again. Let's go back to Jerusalem and where Bethany is around Jerusalem. And so the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. If anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because there's no light in him. Well, now he's drawing a picture from where we were last week, this contrast between walking in darkness and stumbling in fear versus walking in the light where it's clear and secure and stable. He's drawing some deeper pictures there that we can't go into. So in verse 11 he says, Then he said after that, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go that I may awaken him from out of sleep. Well, the disciples therefore said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he was speaking of literal sleep. See, the disciples, are, they're still in darkness. They're, they're still not fully comprehending or fully grasping all that Jesus is saying and doing. So then Jesus does what sometimes we have to do. He cuts to the chase. And he says, Jesus therefore said to them plainly, look, Lazarus is dead. Okay, guys? <laughs> I'm not going to mince words anymore. Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Well, then Thomas, therefore, who's called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, Well, let's go with him so that we can die with Jesus. 
Now that statement, <laughs> on one way it, it expresses a lack of faith, <laughs> but then in another way it expresses a, a, a deep commitment. Jesus is going down and we'll go down with him, right? Thomas is a very interesting person, character, and at the end of this gospel, he comes up again. But, but notice, notice the, 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 the emotion and kind of the, the, the sense of where he is in his walk with Jesus by what he says. So in verse 17, when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now, in Jewish thinking, in this particular culture, the fourth day was the day beyond which they, this is hopeless. Three days? Maybe. maybe. Maybe maybe he could come back in three. The fourth day? No. No chance. This is beyond hope. Nothing good can come from this. So in verse 18, now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother, Mary, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, sorry, wrong person, verse 20, Martha. <laughs> Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. She's the activist. She's the doer. She's going to handle this. So she goes out to meet him, but Mary's still in the house. Martha, therefore, said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Some of the translations there say, Lord, if only you had been here, then this wouldn't have happened. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. So there's a bit of blame and accusation, but there's also still faith. Jesus said to her, your brother shall rise again. And Martha said to him, well, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She's thinking way into the future. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. That's the central statement of the sermon. Jesus is the source of eternal resurrection life. And if you believe in him, there is a sense in which you will never die. For the one who believes in him has already passed from death to life. And she said to him, yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. Well, when she had said this... She went away, she called Mary her sister, saying secretly, uh, the teacher's here, he's calling for you. Why secretly? See, they're still, they're still afraid. Uh, they're still unsure. When she heard it, she arose quickly. She was coming to him. And now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but he was still in the place where Martha met him. The Jews then who were with her in the house, they were consoling her. When they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him. She fell at his feet, a different response from Martha. But she said to him the same thing, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, 
Literally, this is probably wailing. Wailing. The Jews who came with her also wailing. I mean, they are crying unabashedly, crying their eyes out. He was deeply moved in spirit and he was troubled. And said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, behold, how he loved him. How he loved him. But some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of him who was blind? That's the sixth sign. Could he not have kept this man also from dying? Jesus, therefore, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now, it was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. So already you recognize that one of the things the seventh sign does is it points ahead to to Jesus' own resurrection, right? So Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord... By this time, there will be a stench. He's been dead four days. And if that doesn't give us a sense of the reality of the hopelessness and the decay of what has happened in those four days, she's saying, do not open that. It will be disgusting. It will be way too much. So verse 40 Jesus said to her, did I not say to you, if you believe, you'll see the glory of God? And so they removed the stone. Jesus raised his eyes. And again, Father, I thank thee that thou heardest me. I I knew that thou hearest me always. There's this intimate love relationship with the Father. He prays to the Father. And then he says, because of the people standing around, I said it that they may believe that thou didst send me. So when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who died came forth bound, hand and foot with wrappings. His face was wrapped around with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many, therefore, of the Jews who had come to Mary and beheld what he had done believed in him, but some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. I will stop there. But before I pray, I'll say this. This act of love and power and mercy toward his friend Lazarus is the very act that will propel his enemies to send him to his own execution and death. And Jesus does this wonderful act of mercy, this sign of resurrection, knowing all that fully in advance. Father, thank you for the love that you have for each of us. Thank you for this wonderful sign. Lord, may we get it. May we get it in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls. The wonderful truths you will show us today as we sum up and clarify what you want us to know about how you operate in a world filled with tears and brokenness and sadness and decay 
and corruption and death spiritually, physically, morally. From darkness to light, may you take us as you took Lazarus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So obviously a very long narrative. Okay? So what I want us to do with the time we have left, I want to hit the high points here. And I hope you were paying attention as we walked through it. Um, I want to use this passage and the words in this passage to give us uh, five great truths. Okay, so, so we'll move through this pretty quickly. And you're thinking, yeah, right. I'm going to try. Okay, I'm going to try because I respect uh, our, our, our limited human ability to focus and concentrate on what matters most. Number one. If you want to know how God operates in sickness, death, loss, sorrow, hear this out. We see in this dramatic sign, Jesus is expressing his love. I don't want to go back through the text, but did you hear how often it said he loved them? This is a love story. This is an act driven and motivated by love. God's love. The love of Christ. He phileoed them. He agaped them. John uses several different words for love. But what I want us to take from this is that human love is so fallen and limited. The very best that we can do is express sometimes in our marriage vows where we will say, for better or worse, for richer or for poor, in sickness and in health, until what? Until death do we what? Part. That's the best we can do. God does better than that because death will never part or separate those who are in Christ, and that's one of the takeaways from this, is that there is a love that is stronger than death. And so we confidently say that what really motivated God to do this miracle was, yes, his power, yes, his glory, yes, to show that Jesus is the Son of God, but one of the things we see through this is the amazing power of the love of God, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present nor things to come that nothing shall ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus not even death if you love someone the one thing you fear the most is separation alienation never seeing them again human love is so fallen selfish and limited that we struggle desperately to pull that off Captain and Tennille in the early 70s sang, some of you knew this, love will keep us together. They later got divorced. <laughs> we have a love in the love of God through his son that truly will keep us together forever, bound to him, bound to one another and he loves Lazarus so much that it is this situation that finalizes the, the enemies of Christ's uh, desire and plan. They make up their mind after this seventh sign to kill Jesus 
and they also want to kill Lazarus. But you cannot kill and you cannot silence and you cannot ever stop the everlasting love of our God. That's number one. Number two, Jesus through this is displaying his glory. He's displaying his glory. Now it's one thing to turn water to wine, I guess. It's one thing to feed the 5,000. It's one thing to do those other signs. But just in case you don't see how powerful and marvelous and supernaturally glorious he is, that he can, with his word, create the universe with his word, he calls forth Lazarus and intentionally sets this up in a way that he will get more glory because the fourth day was the day that it was completely hopeless and over. So one of the questions is, why are you waiting? Why did you not solve this? Why did you not fix this? Because ultimately his glory shines greater the, the, the deeper the darkness, right? This sickness, Jesus said, is not ultimately unto death. It's not finally going to end bad. So one of the things that we learned here is that just hang on. Somehow, some way, in all the twists, turns, details, detours, pauses, questions, if-onlys, rest assured that, that God is going to be glorified. This is a story of love. It's a story of God's glory. Man, he moves this family from darkness to light, from fear to faith, from death to life, from grief to joy. And the takeaway is we have a wonderful, glorious God. There are so many surprises with God, so many shocking things with God. End of Joseph's life as he went through all those great reversals. He tells his brother, they're shocked that he's still alive. His father was shocked he was still alive. And Joseph explained, all of you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. My good, your good, and his glory. Hey, something interesting that I came across uh, a few weeks ago, and this is going to be a diversion, this kind of a silly story with maybe a, a decent ending. So years ago... Uh, a guy named Kurt Richardson and, and his friend um, Hughes, Madison and Logan Hughes, we had a dog down at Glenlock that hung around the soccer field on occasion. Well, long story short, Logan loads up the dog and takes the dog home. So this is a stray dog, shows up at Glenlock. Kirk and Logan take it home. Actually, Kirk adopted it first. Logan then adopted it. After Kirk moved, long story short. So, so fast forward to today, years later, back on January the 1st, Logan and Madison have Sola, the dog originally from Glenlock, and they're hiking in North Carolina mountains. And, and Sola, on January the 1st, goes over a 5,000-foot cliff and dies. It's tragic. 
So they slipped on the ice, fell over the 5,000-foot cliff, and they got on social media and pronounced Sola from Glitlock, Georgia, passed away on January the 1st, 2024, so forth and so on. A week later, they get a call from a lady. And she says to them, Sola is alive. <laughs> they were completely baffled. Kirk called me and he said, Sola's still alive. I was like, Sola's alive? How? Like, I saw the picture of the cliff. When they finally got Sola home, Madison and Logan's little daughter was standing over Sola's bed and she was singing the doxology to this dog. <laughs> Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Cutest thing you've ever seen in your life. God operates that way. There is no pit ever so deep that God's love is not deeper still. There's no cave so dark, no death so decayed that God's love and glory would not transform and transcend that situation. He always works for our good and His glory. Give God time. Let me give you the other three in close. Number three, Jesus strengthens our faith. Why doesn't he fix it immediately? Why doesn't he go and heal Lazarus immediately? He tells them, I want your faith in me to grow. I want you to see that, that, that when you're at the, the last possible breath, through the last possible difficulty, that through suffering and through pain, it, it, it deepens your dependency on me and your trust in me that you can see that, that the very worst things in life that you can ever go through will be transformed into the very best things that have happened to you. That you, if you'll trust his goodness and trust his timing and wait on him. Jesus, you're late. He was. He was four days late, but he was, but he was right on time. <laughs> he truly will make all things beautiful in his time. He he strengthens their faith by intentionally working the way he works. Number four, uh, I got a whole sermon on this one, but I'll, I'll spare you. Number four, he enters into our grief. He enters into our grief. He's not dismissive. He's not apathetic. Notice that even though he knows what he's going to do, Jesus still feels deeply troubled there's a sense in which these words express that he's angry, that, that he's deeply moved. We don't ever want to fully get into somebody else's head or emotions. What is he doing here? He is entering into the grief that the family he loves is feeling. It's called empathy, entering into their suffering, entering into their tears, entering into their pain and their sorrow. And as you know, when a loss has occurred in your life, there's a bit of anger there. And when you study these words, there's some anger, there's some disgust. What's it over? The condition of the world? Is it their unbelief? Is it that his friend has died? It's a cumulative thing. Sometimes I'll get asked, why the big sigh? 
And then I'll realize that I think I just went, why the big sigh? And then I think, why did I sigh? Well, it's because of everything that's already been on us and we're tired. It's because of everything going on at the moment because we're responsible. And then it's everything that we're worried about about the future in one big emotional sigh. Jesus knows where this world has been. He knows in this moment what it's going through in John chapter 11. But listen, not only does he enter their grief, but he knows that in Gethsemane and on the cross, he will absorb their grief. He will carry their sorrows. He will become sin. He will become darkness and death and and decay and suffering. He will not only... uh, enter in with our grief and sorrow, but he will carry it to a place where he will forever, quote, put it away. Put it away. Through his own cross and resurrection. Can't go into all this, but he not only enters their grief, but one day he will bear and carry their grief so that they will ultimately grieve no more. You with me? All right, last, he empowers our hope. He empowers our hope. And if this situation isn't hopeless, then no situation is hopeless. Imagine Lazarus, after he comes back to life, Lazarus would then live where, man, he says, I've already seen the worst. (laughs) Then Lazarus would die again. But what we don't have recorded for us is kind of what the choir is saying. What, what would his testimony be? That, that may be what we do next week. But this ought to empower a hope in us that nothing. I'm not saying we never grieve. We grieve, but we grieve not like the world grieves. They grieve without hope. That's despair. We grieve, but we grieve with hope. That's a different kind of crying. It's a different kind of sorrow. It's a different kind of loss. So those of you who know this know already that if you came to Richard Smith's funeral on Wednesday, I preached this message at Richard Smith's funeral on Wednesday. Miss Joanne is here. She's going to share with us at the close some words of thankfulness, but some of you were there, and I explained why I went ahead and preached the seventh sign at Richard Smith's funeral. i tell you why. Because the last time I saw Richard Smith, he sat through a sermon on the sixth sign. And he walked out that door back there with a smile on his face and a pep in his step. And that's how I will forever remember him because that's the last earthly image I had of him. But I started thinking in my preparation. I said, you know, Richard heard the, he heard the first part of the sixth sign and the seventh part of the sixth sign. But I guess, I guess he'll miss the sermon on the seventh sign. And then it's as if God said, oh, no, he won't. 
He will not miss that sermon on I am the resurrection and the life, nilly boy. <laughs> In fact, Richard Smith could come here this morning and preach that sermon a whole lot better than I just did. Do you know why? Because he experienced the seventh sign in all of its glory, in all of its beauty, in all of its power and wonder. Man, those who pass from death to life in Christ truly meet face to face God in all of its fullness and glory and love and grace in, in, in an intense and powerful way that, that, we can only, that we can only hope for and trust in. Richard Smith did not, he did not miss the seventh sign. But I guess the pressing question for us is, will you experience the seventh sign? Jesus said to Martha, do, do you believe this? Do you believe this? And I guess the rub for each of us is, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. Uh, just wonderful this morning to sing of your grace and glory, to hear from the food pantry ministry and the, the tangible acts of love that, that demonstrate the gospel in, when people are in, in, in dark, hurting places that we can shine the light and share the light with with food and with clothes and, 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 and other ways that we show love. But the most loving act that has ever been done is that greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. And Lazarus was a, a friend of Jesus. And not only did Jesus raise him from the dead, but Jesus died for Lazarus. So that Lazarus would live forever. Thank you for your love, which completely binds us to you and to one another forever and ever and ever. For that we are grateful. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand, stand and sing. It is well with my soul.
with that okay as I said earlier I know Miss Joanne Mr. Richard's wife would like to say something uh, to our church
Barb's response was really good. I'm sorry y'all didn't all see it. <laughs> but we're, it's a blessing more so than ever before, Miss Barb, that you're with us this year. Um, we are going to sing the very end of Sweet, Sweet Spirit again this morning as we leave. And so, Miss Tammy, if you'll put up Sweet, Sweet Spirit, and we're going to start with, and for these blessings, we lift our hearts with praise. Should be the last one. 